Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Hello and welcome. My name is Jim Davis and you are listening to the Good Athlete Podcast, the premier podcast for coaches. For today's episode, Alex and I sat down with Tommy Christian, Director of Training at TC Boost Sports Performance in Northbrook, Illinois. Tommy is a former inside linebacker for the Northwestern Wildcats. After his playing career, he worked briefly as an engineer before joining the Northwestern Strength and Conditioning staff and eventually working his way up to the position of Assistant Director of Strength and Conditioning. Tommy works with the entire spectrum of athletes, from youth to professional, and says relationships are at the core of his work. We really enjoyed sitting down and having a conversation with Tommy, and think you will too. So we're live right now. Oh, we're live. Okay. We've been live okay. for a while. All right. We've been well, you know, as a high school athlete, you know, as you start thinking about what you want to do with your life, you know, it really happens to really as you go off to college, like, what am I going to study? And I was always good at math and science, and uh, so I studied mechanical engineering. My dad was an engineer. I loved cars, thought I wanted to design automobiles, and my other love well, my greater love was sports, and football was what really was my path into college, and I was on a scholarship when I went to Northwestern. And so as I go into college, I'm thinking, you know, when I finish college, I'm going to be an automotive engineer, design automobiles. And I was in the back of my mind, if I didn't really love that, I would love to be a coach and maybe be a math teacher, you know, be a high school coach and a teacher, because sports had had such a big impact on my life. And Started working in the automotive industry, and I really liked it, but you know, two or three years into it, it just I had this yearning to do something more, and it really came out of being in a position where my job was to help make money for a company and help a company to grow, and I, I was good with that. That was my role, but I wasn't passionate about what we did, and you know, the other aspect was I didn't want to spend my life where my goal was to make money for a company when if I had an opportunity to tie it into making an impact in people's lives, that that would be great. And if you know somehow I could provide for my family as well, that would be fantastic. <laughs> it within that, so I, I started to think about pretty early on, you know what what would that look like? And I and as I thought about it, you know who are the coaches that had the biggest impact on my life? And yeah, I had some fantastic football coaches that had a big impact, but probably the biggest impact was Larry Lilja, who was the head strength coach at Northwestern, and, and there's just something about that role of a strength coach where uh, it's just so much more of a mentor, and uh, the strength coach doesn't decide who plays, who doesn't. The strength coach is there just to make everybody better, and and I felt like that that's really the type of coach that I would want to be, and uh, this was in the 90s, you know, late 90s, and at that time, you know, if you were a high school athlete and you wanted to maximize your potential, uh, you would work with your high school football coach who you might be lucky, had a workout plan, and if you were lucky, you had a, a decent weight room in your high school, or you went to Bally's and you looked at muscle and fitness. So there was nothing, there really wasn't much. And at that time, my brother was playing in the NFL. I was aware of what was possible for me as a college athlete. I thought, gosh, if I had known... When I was in high school, what I learned as a college athlete, I would have been you know, so, so much, I would have gone so much further, really. And 
Um, and I'm fine with how far I went, too. I don't regret that. But I just thought uh, there, there would be a really neat opportunity to make available to high school athletes what professionals and college athletes have on a strength and conditioning side that, that might sustain a business. And then really on more, my motivation side would be this is a chance to make an impact on you know young people's lives and use sports as a platform to do that and you know hopefully provide for a family too. Although I was single at the time, so it's kind of easy right. to be risky. <laughs> right, right. Can you tell us more about um, Larry Wilja? We've got this kind coaches campaign, and we're trying to find coaches, identify and highlight coaches that balance being tough and competitive uh, with caring oh, and yeah. kind. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think the, the, the best example I could give of how Larry, I think, would be a great candidate for that um, would be, you know, my, my junior year when, when Gary Barnett became the, actually my sophomore year, he became the head coach. Um, and he instituted this rule during winter workouts where if you were late to a workout um, or missed a meeting or, or, or broke some team rule, the, the punishment was you got what was called Larry's Lounge. And Larry, as the head strength coach, came up with a menu and no and it was just a laminated poster of all of these names like you know 10 minutes of hell you know like it was just random names you didn't but each one was tied to some usually you know 30 or 45 minute long very intensive conditioning punishment kind of conditioning mm-hmm. not to make you better but to teach you never to make that mistake again kind of thing and so uh, the very first player to get Larry's Lounge was me and and that was never who I was but I I had uh uh we had three workout groups there was a 6 a.m and there was like a three and a four and I was either three or four in the afternoon and my roommate was a 6 a.m and I said hey when you go over to the the stadium will you check the sheet in the locker room and let me know if I'm three or four and he said yeah so he came back and I said I said what group you said you're four I'm like okay and I always want to be on time, you know, to me on time was early, so I show up at 3.30, I look at the sheet, I'm like, shoot, I'm on, I was in the 3 o'clock group, you know, and it was his, you know, it was my fault, it was technically it was, you know, his fault, so I ran over, I said, I said, Larry, you know, coach, I'm you know, so sorry, I, you know, I asked my roommate, and he said, and I, I know it's not an excuse, and he said, well, you know, you know hey, rule's a rule, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, you're going to meet me at 6 a.m. tomorrow at the field house. And so, yeah, I, I go in and, um, you know, going through this workout, I mean, it's very tough. You know, obviously it's the, kind of the whole point, you know, just crushing workout. But the whole time he's putting me through it, he's encouraging me, you know, and he's saying, you can do it, you know, keep it going. You know, it wasn't, it was never like, so there was accountability um, and, and toughness there. Then, you know, the, he didn't make an excuse, like say, hey, it's, I understand it's not your fault. It was like, no, like this is the standard. Um, and he held me to the standard, but then he pushed me through it in a way that wasn't like degrading to break yeah. you down. And, and uh, you know, and I think that was really the way he coached um, was really, you know, out of a, out of a platform of I, I care about you. I, I love you as an athlete. You know, as your coach, I want to see what's best in your life. And I'm going to hold you to a high standard. And if you don't do this workout, this rep, you know, whatever it is, to the level of excellence that really you need to do uh, to be your best, to be your best for Northwestern, to be your best for yourself, then I'm going to be very disappointed. 
you know, and, and because you knew that that coach cared about you when you let, you had the feeling of letting them down, you know, and that was like such a motivator. Like if, if some coach believes in you and trusts you and like, you know, and then you don't do what you should do, like that feeling of being let down was what really I felt like was a great motivator, you know, in a way of being a, an effective coach. And, and it was a kind of a model for me. Um, that was really the way that I wanted to be as a coach one day. Absolutely. Well, my question, follow-up, was that your last trip to Larry's Lounge, or did you ever have to go back? That was the last trip. The last trip. I learned, <laughs> I learned <laughs> quickly not, not to trust your teammate to tell you what time you have to be somewhere. So, there you go. Yeah, it was the last trip. It's a great lesson. Professionally, what would you say has been your biggest challenge, and how did it help you grow? I'd say, I mean, my, my biggest challenge early on in my coaching career, more coach-related rather than business-related. I've had a lot of business challenges. Sure. I'll, I'll, sure. So coach-related was was early on. I was a I, I started out as an unpaid intern at Northwestern, and um, and then I had transitioned into a, a very very minimally paid <laughs> intern. Uh, but the the person who was in the position that I wound up getting left for University of Colorado to be their football director of sports performance and uh and I was fulfilling his role fully as a uh, you know as an unpaid intern but I had a chance to uh really do everything that I would be doing if I was the assistant strength coach and to prove that my value and worth and um you know in coach uh, coach Lilja really believed in me and I was you know doing a very good job and he wanted you know to hire me to be the to be the next assistant strength coach and uh, and I was really excited I was getting married it was like you know it was just really great timing you know I, I needed to eventually make money again after being an engineer and uh, and so you know it was gonna wasn't you know super high paid at all but it was like something and so um, my uh, you know in the process of being hired uh, the head football coach at the time Randy Walker um, blocked my hiring. Larry wanted to hire me. He said, I don't, I don't know if I want him. And, and it was probably the hardest thing that I had ever gone through at that point in terms of, you know, professionally, because I had always been successful. I had always been uh, a hard worker. I had always, um, you know, doors had just tended to open for me and no one had ever said, I don't think that you're good enough to do this job. And that was what he was saying. And, it was really hard and painful, and I and, and Coach Walker and I, I miss him, and I, I I this day really respect and love him, and I think he's a fantastic was a fantastic coach. But you know, he brought me in, and he, he would he would not mince words, and he would say, "Hey, I you know I, I I don't think you make a big enough impact in the room. I uh, that I was not a big enough presence, and he, you know, he really challenged me to say, you know, your job as a coach isn't just to make the guy you're coaching better, but to coach in a way that everybody in the room gets better as you're coaching that person. And he hadn't hadn't seen that, didn't believe that, wasn't sure that I had that, and it was a big challenge because I felt like I had given up so much to leave engineering, I had sacrificed so much of doing all of these long days of filling this role for free basically you know and I felt like well 
this isn't a very good way to say thank you. But really what it was was an opportunity for me to grow as a coach and understand that your role, especially you know, in a coach of multiple athletes in groups, is to impact everybody and to bring enough energy and enough enthusiasm in a way that uh, it impacts the energy of the entire group. And, and it, was a, it was an area I needed to grow in. It was a really hard way to hear it, but it, it really helped me a lot. Yeah, so how did, you, how did you grow from that specifically? Did you make an attempt to be louder? Were you more mobile in the room? Like, what were your strategies to I think have it, a bigger presence? You know, I think it, it created urgency in me as yeah. a coach. Um, and and, I, and I, I, it created this desire to make every workout that I was a part of the best workout that those athletes had ever been in. Mm -hmm. And to drain my energy. I mean, to, like, I got to where... And this is what I talk about with our staff now. Like you, you should be completely spent at the end of a workout, and it should be the best feeling ever. But you should know that you gave everything that you had to make them better in that time that you have because if that's not what we're here for, if that's not a responsibility as coaches, I, you know, I don't know what is. And um, so it really and, – and part of it is a little bit of a fear too. You know, like sure. I have the eye in the sure. sky. You know, I've, I led the speed program for 100 Division One athletes – and I had Randy Walker with his arms crossed watching me. Right, right. <laughs> and I had to do it to the level of intensity and enthusiasm and, and crispness of a military drill. And at the same time, I had to make them faster and make them better. And it was fantastic training environment for me as a coach, you know, that, I, that helped me a ton. And, and to think, you know, when you have a big group of athletes, if you don't plan, if you don't agonize over the flow and how's this going to go and um, they just don't tend to go as well and that pressure of having his eye on me and knowing the thing that he had an issue with me on was something that I wanted to make sure that I pleased him as yeah. really a person who was you know a couple steps over me but also I agreed like I, I did agree with what he said and, mm -hmm. and I, I owned it and wanted to be the best I could be at it within my personality. Totally. That's an interesting element actually. So we, we talk about this in our, in our weight room. Uh, we want people to train like champions and we believe fully that in, in order to do so we have to coach like champions too. Right. You know what I mean? That when we, um, when we first started, we were just trying to get the ball moving at our place. Mm -hmm. We have people on their phones for parts of the time, you right. know, stuff like that. Right. And, uh, and the idea was very straightforward and simple. It was like you said, if you're not toast after this workout, then you've cheated them in some way. Right. Um, but I do like what you just said, and I hope you'll be able to expand on it. Uh, but with that sort of intensity, but within whoever you are, right? Being right. authentic within that. Right. How, yeah. do you, how do you guys do that, and how do you encourage that in your staff? Yeah, too? well, it's, I mean, it, it is a challenging, because there, I think, there, there, there are a wide range of personalities, and there's people who are just goofy, crazy, wild, and they, they are the first people to dance at a wedding, and mm -hmm. there's the person who's the last to dance, and, right. and I think you can be successful as a coach within that range, um, but it, it's, it's really um, just... Yeah, you know, I say it's being who you are more fully. <laughs> I like that. Um, don't try to be somebody that you're not. And and as a coach, to don't coach what you don't know, but coach what you do know to the most utmost of your ability. Mm -hmm. And and be passionate about it. Believe in it. And then the things that you don't know, 
learn them. <laughs> right, know, right. Ask the questions. Be comfortable with it. When I started out as a speed coach, I, I mean, I was up in our third floor uh, one-bedroom condo with my with my wife and I when we got married, and I'm trying to learn how to do A skips and B skips, watching a video of uh, Olympic sprinters, because the next day I'm going to be coaching Northwestern football players on right, it. And, right. You know, and, and I, but I would only coach what I knew, but I would coach it with such belief and passion that they bought in. And, sure. you know, if you buy into that a jumping jack is going to make you better and you do it really hard, like, you'll probably get better from those jumping jacks. Right. <laughs> you right. know, like, yeah. I, think it, I think so much of drawing out of an athlete is being able to have passion in your eyes mm-hmm. and in, you know, your, your words that, you know, we, we talk about it here and what I want in our staff is I, I don't want arrogant coaches. Mm-hmm. I don't want tyrants. I want coaches that have humble competence is what I say, you know, that you have humility, but you're not unsure of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and that you, uh, you show the athletes that you want to make, you want to see them maximize their potential. Like they, you, as a coach, we've been there. We know that they have a short period of time to maximize their experience as an athlete. And, it, and there's a type of effort and there's a type of work that will not make them better. And, and so to encourage them to be better in terms of their effort, in terms of their attention to detail, their ability to follow directions and to fall under authority and show respect to coaches that one day is going to be respect to bosses, be respect to their parents, you know, that carries over to a lot of other things in life and um, realizing that you, you, you have to own your junk and, um, you know, make it better. I like that a lot. We are super interested in what um, you mentioned carryover, the things that are transferable from whatever this moment in time is, preparing and being an athlete at the high school, collegiate, maybe professional yeah. level, and what's going to happen for the next 50-plus years of your life. Yeah. Uh, we're all on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you talked about your motivation earlier. You mentioned that not wanting to let down your coaches was a motivator for mm-hmm. you. Would you say that's something that you see with a lot of your athletes? Is that something you try and pull out of them as well? Like you try and motivate them in the same way as in don't let me down uh, because I care about you? Or how do you motivate your athletes that you work yeah. with? I, I mean, I, I think I never say that. Right. Um, I, I hope that they feel that. I hope they know that I, that I care greatly, that they, I care about them as a person. Um, I care that they improve. I want to see them maximize their, their potential, you know, and, and so, and I believe that it becomes somewhat intrinsic then that when you have a coach who believes in you, who cares about you, who, who you know is investing into you, you don't want to waste that. And you want to, um, I think, show that, res- that respect of, of receiving that gift of coaching and use it to help yourself to be better. Um, I, I think, you know, when I, I never forget my, you know, my brother was the one who kind of voiced it to me when he was in the NFL is that the, the whole motivation by, by, by love, you know, coach loves, you don't want to let him down. Right. Um, you know, but he did, he did say there are some athletes that don't respond to that. Sure. And, and I think, you know, coach Walker, when I met with him, he said, he said there's, he believes in that, the, well, there's the 80-20 rule, but he, he said, I really think it's the 80-10-10. 10. 
that 10% of the athletes, or really any organization that would be athletes, 10% of the people will always do the right thing the right way, and you don't have to touch them. Right. You just, they're, they're good. 80%, oh, and, then, and then the 10% on the other end, you know, he said, I believe no matter what you do, right. they will not do the right thing. And a coach's job is to take that 80% and sway them the right direction. And, uh, and so, you know, the question is, you know, if, if somebody thinks, the challenge that I think probably when an athlete really thinks that they are so much better than they are and that they're a gift to the team and they're, you know, that there's this arrogance and not humility and a selfishness, you know, that that may need a firmer hand in terms of, it doesn't mean you have to yell at them, but there has to be, you know, the accountability of, uh, you know, some sort of consequence that is going to maybe speak to them and maybe push them the right way. Or sometimes, you know, there's, you know, in sports and in jobs, like you, there's cuts, there's cuts in life, there's cuts in the real world. And sometimes that cut, you know, that firing of an employee, although it feels painful at the time and harsh, is the best gift you could ever give them. Because that would maybe be the wake-up call that they need to snap out of it and really look in the mirror, maybe for the first time in their life. But it's hard to do those things. Yeah. That's not, it's not fun. <laughs> I, I love that idea. We talk about, in we use the, a similar logic, I think, in decision-making and how to help kids make good decisions. And yeah. it's usually, we use uh, the image of a car. So if there are five people in the car, right. two people are want to go drive somewhere and make a good decision, two people want to have other things on their mind, right. uh, it's usually number three. It's that middle person that will take, uh, you know, that will move the majority, ultimately. Yeah. Can you convince uh, passenger three right. to do something good? Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Um, and then like, like kind of you mentioned, uh, in the 80, 10, 10, mm-hmm. you find there's the 10, you convince the 80 and the truth is the 10 who were unconvincible quote, or, or, mm-hmm. or so we thought are at least going to be swayed in the sure. right direction a little bit. Right. Right. There and should like, be peer pressure there. There should be, right. right. We talk about that yeah. all the time. Peer pressure has such a negative connotation. Yeah. If it's right. pointed in the right direction, it can be really positive. Right. right? right. It's, it's, a, it's a powerful, effective thing. Right. Um, I think we're probably interested in asking some questions to kind of wrap up uh, about who you are outside of this. Yeah. I think that probably goes along with this idea of people investing in you right? right, and being mm-hmm. motivated by you because yeah. we want to figure out who you are. Yeah. Uh, the first question is, uh, what was the first concert you ever attended? Hmm. All right. <laughs> <laughs> As a kid. I think, uh, you know, my parents would have taken me to my first concert. Um, There was a, it was a, I think a Phil Driscoll concert, who, uh, he was a fantastic trumpet player, like a virtuoso trumpet player, was a Christian artist, um, and my my brother was a trumpet player, and and they took us to, uh, to his concert. I think that was the first concert I ever went to. Nice. Yeah. Phil Driscoll. Phil, yeah. I've never yeah, heard of him. Yeah, he's not familiar yet. He can, he can play the mess out of a trumpet. I don't know if he's still doing it, but... Uh, there you go. Uh, along the same line of thinking, what was the first album you ever bought with your own money? Um, not as a gift? Not as... Well, it could be It could be a gift. I meant one that like you went yeah. and picked out personally. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, 
I in the set so I was born in seventy two and around nineteen eighty maybe nineteen seventy nine I went to a disco with uh, which was in the seventies sure and but I went with my my a buddy of mine and his parents you know we, we were the kids yeah and uh, and they sold they sold like disco albums and I bought a a disco album <laughs> I don't even remember the name but it was a yeah, it was pretty pretty bad, but that was that was the first album I ever bought. That counts. I like that. Yeah, cool. Disco. Yeah. So, no, no yeah. explanation needed. I was I was really thrown off because you were like, <laughs> I was born in '72. That happened in '79 or '80. I'm like, why were you at a disco when you were eight years old? That, yeah, it was with parents. <laughs> yeah. I think it was, it was a family friendly disco, you know. So and we don't. It's a mirror ball. Yeah, yeah. It may have been a, win, uh, a wedding, for all I know. So. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite book or movie unrelated to your field? My favorite book is the Bible, um, and that's really the basis of who I am as a person. Um, you know, so I, I read that every day. That's like my priority in what I read, and then beyond that, um, there's... Uh, that's a good favorite book. I read, I'm reading yeah. a bunch of other books. They, they pale in comparison to the Bible For to sure. me and what's important to me, um, but... You, you know, I think every day now. Yeah, 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 and uh, you know, it, it speaks to everything in my life. Um, so you know, I as a as a business owner, um, I, I I didn't go to business school. So a lot of my reading revolves around you know a way to lead better as a you know as an organization as as a business and to you know as as you train on the private side that. Our ability to impact lives is is predicated on our ability to be successful as a business. Because if we're not successful, right. if we're not profitable, we go away. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, a bunch of people lose their jobs, including me, and then we're no longer having an impact. So I need to be excellent in that role as well, which has been a shift over the over the years of just coaching to now having to really lead an organization and um, work to do that. So I read a lot around that subject. Sure. I think that might be the perfect segue to the final question, which is essentially uh, part of it is reading the Bible, it sounds like, but what would constitute a successful day in your world? A successful day to me would, would be a day that I did everything that I could have done um, in that day to the best of my ability, to the glory of God, not myself. That would be a successful day. And there you go. I like that. Yeah. Room for yeah. improvisation in there, too. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. All right, is there anything else you can think of? or I would like to know somebody that's somebody else in the field that's doing something that you really like, that oh. you appreciate. Yeah. Um, I, I love Eric Cressy. Um, and I, I, I came across him maybe three or four years ago. And then I saw him at a Perform Better clinic and, and then started looking at what he did online. And then a year ago, went out in, to his facility and met with him and then was fortunate to have him come here and do a clinic at our facility last summer. And I just, I really, res I feel like he embodies like incredible competence. He's a, I think he's a genius as a coach, especially with... Uh, you know, overhead athletes and, you know, baseball is, is his niche, but he's such a leader in the field and he's so sharp and so much fantastic information as a coach and so impressive in what he's done and what, you know, the way that he's led uh, his organization, but he also has 
I think a, just a great deal of humility, and yeah. and I I just I really admire him, and um, you know just what he's doing in our field. I think he's a leader, not not just in Cressy, but like really in in the world of sports performance. I think he's fantastic. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Tom. Well, thank you very much. For All right. Your time yeah. Today. yeah. If, uh, Appreciate if it. If we have anyone who wants to reach out to you, how would they go about doing that? The the best thing would just be to go through our website. Okay. Um, you know, we have email, phone number there. They can check out some of the things that we're doing. Perfect. Um, you know, we can and, include and that, right? We know how to. We know that technology. We can include that in the show notes. That'll be that will yes. be in the show notes. Yes. Perfect. Um, and yeah, we, we always invite people to come by and see what we're doing, Great. and uh, feel like that that tells the story. And um, I always love talking to people about what we do. Probably too long, so <laughs> budget some time, but uh, come by, give us a call. Great. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Today's episode was brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. You can find them at Hand Armor Chalk or at Team Hand Armor on Twitter and Instagram. For more on the Good Athlete Project, go to goodathleteproject.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Number Four Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness. And keep an eye out for our next episode.